Hi there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Wednesday, October the 7th. Coming up, it is Mental Illness Awareness Month and a support resource that is available for free. We've got details. Plus, we'll discuss spending, salaries, and shopping with our personal finance expert. And the TDSB announces major restructuring, including online learning and larger class sizes. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. Big investment just announced by the province when it comes to mental health. And for more on this, we're joined now by Paula Allen, Senior VP at Morneau Chappelle. She joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Paula, good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to join. All right. I want to talk about some of the resources that your company has made available online when it comes to mental health in just a second. But uh, first, can you give us your take on this uh, announcement from the Ontario government? $176 million in additional support for mental health. Just how desperately is that needed at this time? Well, it couldn't be more needed. This pandemic, has, mental health, number one, is it has been an area where we need more investment, where there needs to be more attention. And this predated the pandemic. The pandemic really accelerated the need. I mean, we saw very clearly we have a mental health index where on a monthly basis we're tracking the mental health of Canadians. And starting in April, when we started in 2020 and continuing on, the mental health of Canadians has declined significantly in 2020 compared to 2019. So we already had a need. This need has been exacerbated tremendously. So I couldn't be happier for any kind of additional attention or investment in this important area. Well, I was going to ask you, with the second wave of COVID, are we experiencing uh, maybe a second wave of mental health uh, problems? But it sounds as if, uh, from what you just said in the index, that this is just something that has continued ever since the pandemic really hit, kind of, uh, you know, around mid-March. It has, but but make no mistake that there is a higher risk with a second wave because, you know, even though this has compromised our entire population quite significantly, you know, people were starting to see a bit of the light at the end of the tunnel. There was a little bit more optimism. It was still not, you know, significant by any means, but we saw a certain trend. People were starting to adapt a little bit. And then we saw a reversal in that in August. So, you know, we're really entering a period right now where we haven't even fully recovered. We haven't really, uh, you know, gotten, you know, any, any, any of the stability that we seek so desperately. Um, many of us haven't see, thought the support that we need. And then we have another wave. So there's another level of disappointment, um, more uncertainty around when this is going to end. So I do fear that this second wave of mental health uh, mental health issues, which we seem to be entering right now, could actually be worse than the first. Mm. What are the uh, trends that we're seeing right now when it comes to uh, mental health? Is it isolation that people feel still very uh, isolated and we might have to uh, go back into some kind of lockdown here in the uh, next uh, few weeks if the numbers continue to rise? Is it anxiety over what the future holds? Uh, what is it? Uh, are there any trends that... Uh, people are experiencing when it comes to mental health in the pandemic? Yeah, unfortunately, it's all of the above and more. So um, the the Mortensfeld Mental Health Index looks at anxiety, depression, uh, optimism, uh, work productivity as as well. 
um, isolation, everything has really declined. And um, what we are finding, though, is that there's two very strong drivers of that decline. And the premier's touched on it as well, and that is financial insecurity. So we have you know tremendous economic um, insecurity right now. There's so much that's up in the air. So many industries that have been negatively impacted, and that's on the minds of all of us. Uh, but we also found that if you, as an individual, you didn't have a cushion, you didn't have emergency savings, that was actually even more of a predictor of a decline in mental health and even your income. So just having that safety net, um, having uh, the resources to plan your, 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 your finance as well was definitely a factor. The other factor definitely was uh, isolation. So again, this is something that had been increasing in our society for quite some time. And isolation makes everything worse. We, we need social support as human beings in order to get through stressful times. So the more we feel isolated, the more vulnerable we become. Joined on the line by the senior VP for Monroe Chappelle, Paula Allen, talking about the investment just announced by the province, $176 million in additional support for mental health during this Mental Health Awareness Week. And Paula, I guess the good news is, is that there's more options than ever when it comes to people uh, getting help. And I know uh, over there at Monroe Chappelle, uh, you've actually made available uh, online some tools that can help people uh, when it comes to uh, their mental health. Yes, absolutely. Um, And we've partnered with Ontario and Manitoba provinces, as well as a number of employers as well, to make this available to people. So um, one of the most uh, effective kinds of therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy, particularly for a situation like this, where, you know, your mindset really is very important. You have to, you know, build on the strengths that you had in in the past and leverage them. And we're really, as a society, needing to build a new skill in order to move forward. And that cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, helps everyone along a, a long continuum of, 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 of mental health issues from quite severe to really just feeling quite anxious. So through my ICBT, through my internet cognitive behavioral therapy, my ICBT.com, uh, Every Canadian can go on, and if you live in Ontario or if you live in Manitoba, you can sign up for the programs that have been sponsored by those provincial governments. If you live in another province, you can access that independently. You can you can um, you can uh, you can pay for that independently, but also check with your employers because many employers are offering this service as well. Understanding how important mental health support is to the health and well-being of their populations. So there's many re- ways that, that, uh, that a, uh, any individual can access this, and it is Internet-based, so very, very safe. Yeah, Internet-based, and people can access this uh, for free, and I think that's uh, so important uh, right now because I think there are a lot of people uh, right now, Paula, that unfortunately have been uh, displaced from the uh, job market, uh, don't have a job right now, and therefore don't have benefits that uh, might cover, uh, you know, some mental health uh, help and help from uh, professionals. And these are the people that are slipping through the cracks that, uh, you know, a lot of them, quite honestly, could use that support and that help right now. Absolutely. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm giving a lot of, of, of credit to the provinces, Ontario, Manitoba, who have offered uh, offered this available free to the entire population in the province. 
And, you know, even just picking up on uh, Premier Ford's um, press conference a few moments ago, again, I'm so supportive of the investment uh, in the community-based support. I'm so supportive of the investment in CAMH. But that is one end of the continuum. There are so many more people who have need, as I've said. This whole pandemic has put us all of the society at at risk. And having the very accessible Internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy, in a few minutes a day, people can get the kind of support that they need. They can get it while working. They can have, um, you know, integrating with their time at work and at home. It's just a very scalable way to address this very broad population health issue. All right. Just finally, again, where can people find this uh, online? MyICBT.com, M-Y-I-C-B-T.com. And just go there and it'll ask a couple of questions and stream you to the right level of support. Great stuff uh, here on Mental Health Awareness Week. Paula Allen. Paula, thanks again for the time. Really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for talking about this topic. It's important. Without a doubt. Paula Allen is the senior VP or one of the senior VPs at Morneau Chappelle. There's some important financial information when it comes to COVID and your money that's been making headlines the past couple of days. And joining us now to fill us in, Rabina Ahmed Hawk, personal finance expert, is here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Rabina, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, Let's start with this new report that's been out the last couple of days that suggests that Canadians' wages will remain stagnant in 2021. Yeah, and this is also true for 2020. This is a survey that Morneau Chappelle does every year. They talk to hundreds of companies across the country, um, asking them not only what are your expectations when it comes to salary, but also what are your expectations when it comes to how many increases you're going to give to your employees and are you going to be firing anyone in the new year? And they said that this year, at the beginning of the year, only 2% of companies had expected to freeze salaries for whatever reason in 2020. And that number jumped to over 36% after the pandemic started. So just showing how dramatically the pandemic has affected companies' bottom lines and how that is going to reflect now with employees not getting that promotion or that salary bump that they were looking for. And that is expected to continue into 2021. This year, they're saying 1.6% on average. Next year, 1.9%, but still well below the average of 2.5% that Canadians normally see when they see a salary increase year over year. All right. So knowing this, how should people, how should families, how should they prepare, Rubina? Well, it really depends on where you work and where you live. So if you are uh, living in Alberta, for example, in the oil sector, you are going to be more affected uh, by uh, your salary uh, salary not being increased than someone who lives in Atlantic Canada. Now, I'm not trying to make a comment on whether these are places that have handled the pandemic better or not, but this is the reality with Alberta being more affected because of lower oil prices, again, caused by the pandemic. But if you're just looking at, you know, you don't, you're not sure whether your sector is affected as much as others. I I would say if you're still working, definitely be putting more money away, not be spending money on anything extra, of course. And as I always say, paying debt down, because when financial situations get sticky, it's those debt obligations that normally get people more into trouble than anything else. All right, let's shift our attention to another report that is out. And this is suggesting, Rabina, that uh, teen spending is way down. 
Yeah, I mean, I found it to be almost comical because they talked about big, uh, you know, big name brands like uh, Louis Vuitton and Michael Kors. Um, and then other brands that maybe more I would more associate with uh, teenagers, which is Nike and American Eagle, saying that spending is down in uh, for young people because of the pandemic. You know, if you look at the Canadian stats, um, young people, those age 15 to 24, have been by and large more affected by the pandemic than any other age group. And that really is because many young people work during the, se- the, the months, the summer months. That's when they make their most amount of money. That's when they save that money in order to pay for their tuition and other costs in the fall. And so those jobs simply disappeared. There was no camps. There was no part-time jobs. Retail was shut down. Many of the food sector jobs that they might take were no longer available to them. And if they were available, they might be, they might be the restaurants may be giving them to their more senior staff who have been with them year long. And so that really has translated into uh, a big drop. This is an American survey showing that most young people are not spending the way that they did pre-pandemic on things like running shoes and handbags. Uh, they reported, for example, that teens are only spending $87 on handbags, uh, which is an all-time low. But I, you know, that number just seems almost comical because uh, it seems like there are other things that uh, that teenagers spend on um, outside of hand, uh, designer handbags, but still does indicate that t- teenagers are spending less. Yeah, I mean, I'm just flashing back to when I was a teen, and I never had more discretionary income, of course. Uh, I still remember my first job was uh, McDonald's. It was $3.33 an hour. That tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, I remember my first paycheck <laughs> just was... Just last year. Just last year. Yeah, job. it was $128. And I thought, oh, how am I possibly going to spend all this money? It's comical when you look back, but uh, when I think about, again, being a teenager and pretty much anything you make, if you're obviously living at home, is discretionary income. What is the overall impact to the economy? I mean, how important is teen spending? Well, you know, teenagers not only spend the dollars that they make, they also affect the dollars that their parents spend. So with the, you know, le- lesser opportunities for parents to take their kids to uh, on vacation, take them to Canada's Wonderland or all these other things that normally teenagers would be spending money at, um, that, of, of course, is affecting companies as well. Because in some ways, even if parents wanted to take their kids somewhere, there's nowhere actually to spend money on them. This report that was done by Piper Sandler's, they do it twice a year. Uh, said that uh, average teen spending in the year has dropped to $2,150, which is a lot of money if you ask me for a teenager to be spending on uh, discretionary spending, like you mentioned. Uh, but that's still a drop of about 9%. So that shows that companies, you know, not only are dealing with the fact that adults are not in the stores spending as much on their own, uh, you know, retail items and other extras, uh, but also the teenagers that drive many of those sales, those are also down by as much as 10% at least in the States. And we can probably say with some confidence that that would be the case here in in Canada as well. For sure. And maybe that is the reason why finally here, some of the big retailers, Rabina, have already begun their Christmas push. Uh, just a reminder, by the way, for everybody, it's uh, October the 7th. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We know we always kind of cringe at how early Christmas decorations make it into the stores. And that's often just after November 11th that people think it's okay to sort of start seeing uh, more Christmas decorations, looking forward to the holidays. Uh, But to see them before Thanksgiving seems almost, uh, you know, unbelievable. But companies are worried because Christmas is their biggest shopping season. That's why that's the, the season, you know, we call it Black Friday for a reason. 
It's the, it's the day most companies go from the red into the black because they make enough sales in, uh, in the, in not just on that day, but in the days leading up to the holidays uh, to make up for, for everything in the year. They don't sell as many goods as they do in the six weeks leading up to Christmas than they do any other time of year. And so they've already lost a lot of money because of back to school, especially the retailers. And so they're pushing, revamping, figuring out how they can get items into customers' hands, whether it be online or curbside, touchless pickup. But they have to start doing that early because the messaging has to be out there that, yes, we are open and, yes, we are available if you want to come and shop with us. And because it's earlier than ever, does that speak to just uh, what a uh, precarious situation retailers are in right now thanks to the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, retailers, of course, for, for a part of the time were actually shut down. So malls were, you know, just shut down. No one could even go into them. Uh, of course, online sales surged at that time, but mostly for household items, things like, you know, uh, uh, disinfectant wipes and cleaners, things that people felt that they needed to stock up on toilet paper. Uh, but really, people weren't stocking up on things like suits for the office or any other items that they might use on a, on a Friday or Saturday night out with friends. Those things, those, um, those items have really dropped off and those are the kind of things that people often buy you know a nice dress for new year's eve or for christmas parties that you may be attending i'm gonna see i'm gonna be i will be rather interested in seeing how those retailers are going to convince people to buy those kinds of items i've noticed already even in my emails that the the marketing has really changed i'm mostly now getting um uh, invites to buy things like jogging pants and casual clothes (laughs) at home whereas before you know fall wear would be like how to you know update your fall wardrobe, how to look professional in this new coat that, you know, that we've brought out. Um, Those kind of messages, those kind of emails are just simply not landing in my uh, inbox anymore. Hand sanitizer. It might be the hot stocking stuffer of 2020. Rabina, thanks as always. (laughs) Appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, personal finance expert. Well, the TDSB, the Toronto District School Board, announcing a major restructuring, shifting teachers out of the classroom and into online learning. That will result, they say, in larger class sizes, which does have students and parents concerned. And if you recall, the TDSB recently said that they would need some 500 additional teachers just to meet the demand for online learning. Merritt Stiles is the Ontario NDP education critic and joins us now for more on this on Global News Radio. Merritt, good afternoon. Nice to talk with you again. Great to be here. Okay, your reaction to this uh, restructuring. Will larger class sizes, do you think, leave students of in-class learning uh, more, more vulnerable moving forward? Well, this is what we've seen now. This will be the second major reorganization of the TDSB uh, this this since September, um, since kids came back to school, and it hasn't been that many weeks. Uh, so I think for a lot of families, it's going to. This is terrible news. There's no question. I'm my office is flooded with calls from people who are worried that their kindergarten classes are going to be collapsed into each other and create like mega classes, and and that is definitely uh, a realistic fear because because what's happening now is we've seen another seven thousand students um, leave the in-class uh, environment and go into just online only. And I think that's a sign that, that our families and our students are not feeling particularly safe and confident in the plan that the Ontario government put forward. Are you confident that a full consultative process has gone on between the Ministry of Education and the board, and in this case the Toronto District School Board, to find the best uh, solution, or is this just simply, do you think the Toronto District School Board, the TDSB, just kind of, I don't know, throwing their hands in the air? You know, I, I 
I mean, I think the TDSB, to be fair to them, have have done a like have really tried hard to 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 meet the the needs of the of students and families while at the same time dealing with these guidelines and and that the government's put forward. You know, back in August, the TDSB came up with a proposal for how they thought they could best. Uh, you know, meet the needs of students and families in the safest way possible and keep smaller class sizes. And the government rejected that. Uh, they, they tried, like a lot of boards, they tried different options. The government kept rejecting them, and here we are. And I, I think that, you know, was there consultation? Uh, not enough. Absolutely. Uh, back, you know, six months ago, this government knew that we were going to be facing a second wave. We also, everybody knew eventually we'd have to return to school in some form or other. And the fact that the government kind of seems to have been, been going back and forth between from one crisis to another without, you know, a, a solid plan in place months ago is, I think, a real concern for a lot of us. You say everybody knew eventually we would have to go back to school, but with cases uh, rising, do you think it's time to reconsider back to school? Wow, you know, I, uh, as a mom and and as the, the education critic too, I I really hesitate to say that. I I think we all, you know, look education and having our kids in school has to be a priority for for our city, for our province, for our country, right? It's it's critical um, that we care for our kids, that we make sure they're getting the education they need, and that families are able to also, you know, function and start to, you know, work, et cetera. But, but look, the way, that's why it was so important that the government got this right and, and they've failed. And so, you know, is it too late? I, I hope not. I think we keep saying uh, that there's, there's still opportunity to make things better. If the government had started months ago, we wouldn't necessarily have the shortages and the situation we have now. Um, but, but it's not too late to still make things better. And we are asking the government to, for one thing, release some of the funds that they're holding on to. Uh, the federal government gave them some funding. For example, they're just sitting on it. They haven't released it all. Now's the time. Let's get this going. Let's do the best we can right now. Okay, there's an opportunity to still make things better, but how do we do that? How do we move forward? Uh, would it be better to throw all of our resources at, say, online learning uh, rather than dividing what are our limited uh, resources between kind of these two streams right now, online and in-class learning? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if, if, if we were to start again, I would say what we've said all along, which is they needed to cap the class sizes at just 15 kids in, you know, from, from K to 8, because that would have immediately created a much better learning environment, a more supportive environment. You would have seen fewer people uh, leaving the classes and this, this move to online. However, you know, certainly some families are going to choose online because that's the best option for them, or they have, like, immunocompromised family members. But that, you know, I think shouldn't have been the, 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 the only option that most people find that they have. Um, so right now, uh, we should be still pushing for those smaller class sizes. We should definitely be pushing the government to make sure they don't collapse the classes. I think that'll be a disaster for a lot of kids. Um, and we should be, we should be again, like, you know, making sure that all the funding that's, that's available is available now, not, not, you know, the government says they're waiting for a rainy day. The rainy day is here. It's now. <laughs> this is the moment. Sure. Uh, but don't we need a plan before we spend that money and a really well thought out and good plan? And what we're doing right now with, uh, you know, kind of half online learning and half in person or in class learning Kind of reminds me, Merit, of that old business adage, when you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing no one. 
true, right? It is it is a difficult one, and and it's hard to manage for boards to manage all of that. It's extremely complicated. I really feel terribly for a lot of the teachers too who are going to get moved from one to the other. I mean, it's it's a lot. Um, the thing about online is that it really does leave a lot of children out. Um, whether not just in northern or rural communities where broadband is an issue, but also in our cities. You know, we we're seeing that increasingly people just don't have the they have you know their usage is capped at a certain amount. They can't accommodate everybody. Um, boards have done a lot of work to try to get devices out to families so everybody has access. Uh, but it's it's not perfect. It's not good. So I'm not sure we're really there. That I'm not sure we have the capacity to move everybody online. But you know what? If things keep going in the direction they're going in, everything is going to shut down again. And then I, and I have to say, at that moment, the government better you know have have actually sort of rethink how they how they behaved in this last six months and, and actually listen to the experts, you know, the, the sick kids experts, the education experts, the epidemiologists, and this time, like, let's do this right. Uh, but I feel really badly for all the kids who um, are getting bumped around, and, uh, and I, I certainly hope that uh, the government will come through now with some additional support. Just finally, uh, Mary, just how concerned are you and your party uh, when it comes to parents pulling kids uh, out of school uh, Basically, uh, on mass, you mentioned some uh, 7,000 uh, students have uh, been pulled out of uh, in-class learning. Is that a trend that we expect to uh, continue, and uh, how concerned are we? Well, you know, the, gov- the, the, the school board has, uh, TDSB and the other boards have allowed for different opportunities when, when people can opt in or opt out of, of online, et cetera. And so, you know, we may see some more shifts, but I hope this is the last of the big shifts <laughs> because it is going to have a lot of um, impact on, um, on the kids in school and, and on our, our system as a whole. Yeah, it's, it's 7,000 students in 374 schools. So 374 schools are on track to lose teachers um, as they move them into online learning. And that will mean that classes that maybe would otherwise just be like, you might be left with a smaller class because some more kids have moved online, but that small class of, say, 15 kids is going to be merged with another one. It'll be back to being 25 kids again. So, you know, it's a, it's a terrible situation. And, uh, you know, I know it's really hard on a lot of parents, um, but it and but you know and and I but I will say this I do believe that the the teachers in particular but all of those educators the principals and everybody you know in most of our schools are working really really hard to try to you know limit the impact on kids and make sure they get the best learning experience possible so you know let's all support them and 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 the kids who are going to school in this really difficult time. Ontario NDP education critic Merritt Styles Merritt appreciate the time as always thanks so much oh, for joining us. And that's the podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading and listening. A reminder, you can listen live weekday afternoons from 1 to 3 at 640toronto.com. Find us on Spotify, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcast.